Productions. This show is all about the people behind the science of biotechnology and medical devices. Through the stories of the people, I hope that Lab Rats to Unicorns is able to describe the transformative process of you know, how an idea starts in the lab and eventually becomes a life-saving treatment or a product that, that helps patients with diseases. Life, life, life-saving. Well, today I'm thrilled to welcome our next guest to the podcast. Um, before I introduce her, I want to welcome my uh, friend and uh, co-conspirator, uh, Suna Lumay, who is uh, our head of operations here for Portal in Atlanta, um, an entrepreneur as well as a, um, a scientist and a, a business person with her MBA as well. So we are delighted to welcome our guest, Dr. Courtney Law. Um, welcome, Courtney. She's a career scientist with remarkable achievements that exemplify her dedication to impacting human health. Law received her BS in chemistry and PhD in pharmaceutical sciences and medicinal chemistry and natural products from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. After completing her postdoctoral fellowship at North Carolina Central University, she worked as a tech transfer intern at NCCU. Currently, Dr. Law leads Biolocity, and we're excited to really dig into that and um, the transformative work that um, she's been engaged in here in uh, in Georgia and in Atlanta. But in that role, she's helping all Emory University and Georgia Tech faculty develop new biomedical innovations with commercial potential. And so, again, without further ado, we're humbled and honored to be able to discuss Dr. Law's current work at Biolocity, um, all things about the ecosystem and her passion for human health and and focus on all those topics in this episode. So welcome, Courtney. Yes. yes. Thank you. Thank <laughs> yes. you for having me. I'm excited. <laughs> well, maybe as we just set the stage for the conversation, it would be great if you could just describe... Um, um, Biolocity, what your role is there and what the role of Biolocity is kind of in the, the uh, emerging life sciences and tech ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as you mentioned, I'm the managing director for Biolocity. I've actually been in this role a little bit over two years now. Um, and we have an interesting place within the university. So we sit actually under the Department of Biomedical Engineering. Um, we're patterned after the the Coulter um, program or the Coulter Translational Fund. Um, and being in uh, the department of BME, we get the opportunity to serve both campuses, like you mentioned, um, both Emory University and Georgia Tech. Um, in our role, we look at all things health-related, anything that's trying to improve the human condition, we will chat with you about it. Uh, so we work with faculty, staff, students to really um, take their innovations and make them more of a reality in, in, the, in the real world. Um, we do that in a, in, a, in a variety of different ways. We have an educational component where we work with students and have interns. Um, we have um, different educational series just to talk about different topics in um, entrepreneurship at with the uh, the focus of you know early stage technologies. Um, we have a small fund that we fund about five to seven projects per year that have the most promising um, commercial potential. And then we also work with other folks within the ecosystem, both locally and um, nationally to, again, help try to get those uh, those commercial products out. Excellent. And how has your experience been kind of at the uh, interface between these two great uh, research institutions? How has that worked pretty seamlessly in terms of how you're able to kind of straddle both uh, universities and innovation uh, emerging from both places? 
I would say amazing. Everything's going great. Um, <laughs> um, I, I think, uh, like I said, the program uh, has been, it's been actually around for, in, in some different formation for the last 20 years. Um, we've been in this iteration or this this iteration of the program probably for the last seven years. So I think um, my predecessors did a really good job of laying the groundwork to make it more seamless between each institution. Mm -hmm. um, as the institutions continue to grow um, even separately and together, um, I think that there is a focus on how to keep biolocity in line with those things. So it's been a pretty seamless transition. That's great. Yeah. And maybe diving a little bit uh, more deeply around some of the activities that biolocity is engaged in um, to support emerging um, ideas. And it sounds like it's not only faculty, but students are included in that um, process as well, um, all around human health. Can you maybe share a, a program or two, and maybe it's around the funding process. How does the journey begin for that student or faculty member? Do they approach Biolasty and then you kind of um, select them or is it for all comers? Maybe you could just describe the process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we have different facets of our program that are open to anyone across the university. Um, and so engaging with us is, is really simple. You have an idea, come talk to us. You have a company, come talk to us. Mm -hmm. um, so we have a very narrow focus in which we fund projects. Um, and we often see ourselves as probably the first money in for a lot of these early stage projects. Um, so we're, I would say we kind of play in the pre-seed space, the okay. pre-seed space pre-seed space, there mm -hmm. you go. Yeah. Um, and so oftentimes we're that first commercial, like commercialization funding past um, research funding. So we use, we've based our model on a, like a VC style, VC style model that's a six month process. Okay. Uh, typically we see about, I would say 50 to 50, 50 to 60 different technologies throughout the year. Wow. And yeah. again, we, we whittle that down to about five to right. seven. Right. Um, so it's a six month process in which we we do our own diligence. We have our interns who help us with our, our market research. Um, we work with IP professionals to really look at um, the spaces that these different technologies play in, as well as um, we have an oversight committee that helps us make our decisions. Mm. Um, from the faculty or student perspective side, um, we also help them like formulate formulate a pitch. For many of them, they've not done this before. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a very hands-on process. The thing that we like to say um, is no matter how far you make it through um, the funding cycle, you're gonna learn something. Mm -hmm. um, and we always encourage people to come back to us if, if uh, we're not funding them in that cycle. Because like I said, it's pretty competitive. Mm -hmm. um, and I wish we could fund everyone. Yeah, yeah, but it's hard to say I don't no. have unlimited dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I always encourage folks to come back. To what degree, um, you mentioned interns, um, are there students involved in that process, those those interns uh, that are part of the evaluation phase? Or maybe if you could just talk a little bit more about the, the details around um, internship opportunities that kind of go along with um, you know, supporting the, the work and the companies. Yeah, absolutely. So our interns, our, our internship program is mainly geared towards um, graduate students and postdocs. Mm -hmm. Occasionally we take folks who are undergrads who are super, <laughs> super, super motivated and yeah. have, have some experience, but like I said, we're mainly focused on them. Um, typically these folks are working in the lab and they are very interested in commercialization, but don't know what facet they wanna go into. Mm -hmm. um, so through our internship, uh, they're able to, like I said, um, work with us on the, on the market research side of things, but they also get to see how we work. How are we um, evaluating these different opportunities and how do we make our decisions? And then um, they also have the opportunity to work with our oversight committee to see how 
external folks make these decisions as sure. well. Um, so typically we work with those folks for about the duration of the funding mm -hmm. cycle. Um, other ways that we work with students, uh, oftentimes we uh, work with student groups as well um, to recommend projects for them to work on, or they we invite them to our meetings too. Yeah. So that's amazing. But I mean, it, it almost provides like a residency program um, for you know a, a scientist that gets exposure to the business side of things and just what goes into that bigger picture process. And um, I'm curious, is there a lot of demand for that? I, I would imagine there is, you know, both on the startup side, you know, the, the program, the program's overall purpose, but even just on that, you know, student-driven uh, side of things, um, wonder your perspective, are there more uh, interested people in, in that particular path um, in having choices to either stay in academia, postgraduate, um, or, you know, go down more of a entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial path or maybe work for a larger company. So do you see that being an increasingly popular uh, pathway for uh, graduate students? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there are no shortage of students who want to, who are looking for different internship opportunities, whether they're with our programs or other um, programs within Atlanta um, and beyond. Um, students themselves have formed their own their own um, clubs and programs mm -hmm. around entrepreneurship and yeah. supporting that. What I find is. Uh, there are different, of course, there are a million different paths they can go in. Um, but what I love about what they're doing is they're not automatically choosing it. They're not saying, oh, I don't want to do academia. I want to be an entrepreneur. Or, oh, I only want to be an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. um, um, because they've seen examples within the university system yeah. of folks who are spinning out their innovations sure. but still keep their um, academic appo appointments. So I think that they see um, the variety of, uh, that they're um, that their education will take them. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, you can live, uh, you can straddle both yeah. um, successfully, as many you know very prolific, you know, academic founders have have proven over over time. Well, you know, one of the things that you know you've experienced on your journey, you've been at the interface of translation, you know, going from idea to you know getting an idea out of the university and kind of onto that. Um, road to um, commercialization or, you know, in, into the clinic and, and beyond. Um, what are some of your observations around um, successful programs uh, that are maybe more effective at helping at translation? It's, it's a really difficult process, we know. <laughs> and, and it's a high, there's generally a high failure rate of idea all the way to, to the market, but even idea to get to get funding, it's it's a it's a very difficult process. We we know that, um, but are there things that are can be done or are being done uh, by the universities that may be increasing the seamless handoff or supporting that faculty member who's interested in going down that pathway um, and putting kind of the wind in their sails? Any comments around best practices in that regard? Yeah, um, what I love about these institutions are that they continue to evolve in the ways that they support um, innovators, especially the faculty members. Um, and I think the best key practice is trying to meet people where they are um, because people have varieties of experience with um, entrepreneurship and translational research and, and what it looks like to actually get that out the door. Um, so I think the universities themselves have done a really good job of creating different programs around, you know, if you're super early and you have your idea, how do I connect with you? If you're super early and you just want to get it out the door, um, here, meet these folks, here, meet these business folks or et cetera, that can help get you out there. If you're interested in starting your um, startup, 
we've got faculty services that'll help you there. So I think they, they have a, they're trying to meet people all along the continuum. That's outstanding. Yes, because, you know, what uh, if it's a, a repeater academic founder you know, going through kind of that first program may, may not be required, nor it almost becomes a, a distraction. So kind of a one-size-fits-all approach would not be too, too effective. And on the other hand, you know, assuming that that first-time faculty member that's starting a company for the first time knows intuitively, you know, what that <laughs> repeater has experienced um, would be a mistake as well. So having the program to kind of like you said, meet meet them where they are. I think that's that's outstanding. Um, are there uh, are there things that you've kind of seen along the pathway as you think about um, successful academic founders? Whether and you can include students in that um, uh, analysis as well. Characteristics of a, a more successful uh, person that's able to kind of go from idea and start that um, idea down the commercial path. Are there any characteristics that maybe increase the chances um, of, of a person inc- uh, being able to be more effective at getting an idea out of the university and onto the commercial path? Yeah, absolutely. I love this question. Um, I would say probably determination is is the number one thing. I, mean, I think that's... Mm. Um, that's not just focused towards, like you said, students or, or faculty. Um, just because the road to becoming an entrepreneur is a tough one. Um, and oftentimes, especially if it's your first time, it, there's a mindset shift of I'm doing research to how am I creating a product? And then who are all of these new people I need to talk to to get that that um, funded? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think determination and, and, and maybe even flexibility as well, um, because Oftentimes, researchers, the thing that they're working on, that's what they dedicated their life to. Right. It is their baby. Yeah. Um, and people don't like when, you know, they say your baby's ugly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's not your baby is ugly. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you just need to put a new hat on them. And so yeah. it's, you know, being able to pivot how they see their their um, research and mm. how they're able to discuss that with different folks to really get out the door. Yeah, or as Suna likes to say, coachability, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're coachable. They they or another way of saying it, they they are able to listen. You know, they're not just in a situation where they're they only have a transmitter and, and no receiver, <laughs> um, because that can also make a difference too. Is just how well do they listen? That could lead to that flexibility yeah. and the open mindedness. But I think it's a really tough challenge for that individual because of what you said. I mean, in most cases, when the, by the time they're ready, at least in biomedical innovation, by the time they're ready to kind of pursue the entrepreneurial path, um, it, they're 15, 20 years in to, mm-hmm. to get to that point. Mm-hmm. And so no one in the world knows that idea and technology better than they do from a science perspective, but having the humility to kind of meet the market and understand that there's a lot more that goes into turning that idea into a drug or a device, there's a lot not more work to do. Do you run across any individuals that maybe have... Um, uh, the wrong expectations, uh, glorified expectations of beginning the process, uh, but maybe being surprised uh, by what it really takes to kind of move down that path. Yeah, I think um, I think you really actually hit on on the head. Um, a lot of times, folks are very focused on the research that is what they're doing, um, and maybe the external community says, "Oh, but this is what I need. Like that's a great resource, but this is what I need." Mm-hmm. Um, and I think oftentimes, if you're, I, w- I wouldn't want to say siloed into your research and your research life, it's hard to 
hear more of like the industry side of things. So trying to keep that balance, I think is also something that's different and challenging, but that's how we get things out. Um, so I think sometimes that can be a little bit difficult, um, that pivot, that market research piece, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's what are the market needs um, and being able to, to meet that. Mm-hmm. One thing um, that I'm really impressed by, especially with the operations of Biolocity is the intake you do and then also the due diligence you do and the feedback you provide, even for those who don't actually make it into the program Mm -hmm. and what that does for, you know, giving a dose of reality and and kind of like the people who are involved in the committee and the selection. And it's very well, um, I guess, representation of a good representation of industry to also kind of like paint that perspective for, for folks who want to have this end goal, but, need a a little healthy dose of reality for where they are now so that they understand what the hurdles might be. But like um, in building capacity to be able to do that, I think is also contributing just to the, I guess the collective knowledge about where you are Mm -hmm. and where you have to go and how that also feeds into our ecosystem here and between Emory and Georgia Tech innovators. So I'm, I'm interested to hear, you know, you go a little bit more into like how you build capacity and how that how you see maybe even repeat uh, applicants come into Biolocity and what that feedback actually does for them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, no, it's perfect. So our oversight committee, uh, like you said, they provide this external um, perspective. So we have folks who are entrepreneurs, we have folks who are VCs, we have folks um, who are in industry in different ways. Um, they're not all experts in all of the things, but they can provide, you know, that their specific lens to any technology that we're meeting with. And so between the oversight committee and like you said, our, kind of our market research, often like out from the folks who don't make it through, um, sometimes it's, hey, I'm, I'm, I think I should go through this market. We're going to make bajillions of dollars. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, it's a little crowded space. Like, how are you differenti- differentiated? Or have you thought about this technology? Or have you thought about this? Um, we also have the opportunity to talk to a lot of um, end users. And we're like, well, this is what we're hearing from mm-hmm. the folks that you'd like to work with. And this is, you know, this is the path that they that we're hearing you should take. Um, so oftentimes faculty or our applicants will go back and say, okay, well, this is what I heard. I mean, it was a little bit of a dream crush, but that's okay. And now yeah. I've pivoted and now I'm back. And oftentimes they come back stronger yeah. um, because now, you know, maybe they've added somebody different to their team. They're like, oh, I didn't know that I should have been thinking about X, Y, or Z. Um, or they've also also gone and done their own like market assessment, their own market research, um, their own customer calls, if you will. Mm-hmm. Of yeah, you know, maybe you guys were right. Like, here's another another way to think about um, this technology I'm working for or on. Um, so I think giving that feedback and like you said, it's kind of that tough love, but it's the nicest tough love that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> most entrepreneurs are going to get. Yeah. Um, so that they do come back stronger because we are here to be a resource and we are here to help. Well, and kind of decoupling the person from the idea, too. So on the one hand, you don't want to discourage a person who, you know, their mind was in the right spot. They had a good a, a good core technology, but it was just aiming in the wrong direction, perhaps. Or maybe the technology just wasn't the appropriate uh, fit to, to, to go to market. But discouraging that individual from ever coming back and doing it again with maybe idea number two, which could be the better idea in that whole process. And in in the case of where they've gotten that feedback, 
a stronger individual because they're more self-aware, they're more aware of the market, they're more aware of the realities. Um, I would imagine that that almost, you know, supercharges that individual, but there's such delicate balance. So I loved your statement that it's tough love, but it's like the nicest kind of tough <laughs> yeah. love. Uh, but you who know, else to hear it than someone who's done a whole uh, yeah. defense before yeah. in their life? Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's easier than that process, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no. And, and that's a perfect way to think about it just because, I mean, we're non-dilutive funding. So we're, you know, we function like a grant. Um, and we do want to get innovations out of the university, but we we do want to create those serial innovators. That's mm-hmm. what we're here to do. Yeah. Um, so we're not, my office isn't saying, hey, I'm going to take X percentage of your very early stage thing. We're like, we are here to help mm-hmm. and we're going to try to get this technology out or yeah. come up with another one. We'd yeah. love to hear that one too. That's great. Yeah, I mean, just reducing those barriers to yeah. complication um, also can, can, can trigger and maintain momentum that, you know, if it is a, a negotiation every time you've got to move your idea downstream, then it just becomes the, the walls and the barriers get, get too high. Um, you know, we hear Biolasti's name all the time in this ecosystem. Um, it seems to be kind of a center point that uh, folks can engage in as, you know, they're looking around the ecosystem to figure out, okay, how do I get plugged in to find out what's coming out of um, the research institutions, in particular, um, Emory, Emory and, uh, and Georgia Tech. And if we, but if we think about, um, you know, that, that paradigm, the, the connection point, almost the front door to the ecosystem. Does Biolasti play a role in that regard? I, I, I kind of think about it from that perspective, from you know venture groups, uh, entrepreneurs coming from outside the ecosystem that see the value of what's going on in Atlanta. Um, early on, it, it seems to me that Biolasti can be a front door in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we definitely want to be a front door. Uh, we try to, I mean, like I said, I, I'll just keep referring back to our oversight committee. We try to leverage those like those folks to help us get connected. We try to meet people where they are as well. So we're out traveling, like t- telling people about the folks that we're working with, whether they're in our portfolio or not, just spreading the good word about Emory and Georgia Tech and Atlanta and Georgia, mm-hmm. um, because we want folks to, to be looking at us. Um, and even if we, you know, whether it's a a future partnership or a future investment. Maybe we don't have what folks are looking for right now, which I would say we do. Um, but even if we don't have something ready for their portfolio, at least they know that um, there's a support and infrastructure here yeah. um, that's trying to shepherd these these ideas. Yeah, and that sustainability, that leads to a sustainable ecosystem too, is that if you can keep coming back and there's you're building a long-term, it's a longitudinal relationship between the external environment and the local ecosystem. And I think the more, almost like the analogy of the front door to the universities, having that same seamless front door to the ecosystem, also it, it, it's it's inviting the market in. And when the market comes in, then that is ultimately what allows for that longer term sustainability, I think. Well, at least one piece of the of the puzzle in, in that regard. And maybe to that point, I'm curious to get your reflections since you've been involved in other uh, ecosystems, both on the West Coast and in North North Carolina. What what do you think are some of the key elements of a, a productive ecosystem for life sciences? And maybe um, the second part of the question would be how do you feel about where Atlanta is on that as a as a growing ecosystem? Perhaps earlier stage than the places you came from, but just interested in your thoughts around where Atlanta sits vis-a-vis the others. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
So it's interesting because I've been in each of these different ecosystems at different parts in my career. So I've seen them through different lenses. Um, but I think the challenges are always the same. So it's always, you know, trying to have an ecosystem that has, you know, the talent, it's got the money, it's got the ideas. Um, and I think each, um, each ecosystem has its own strengths that it brings. Um, so there are different environments. Like in North Carolina, I was in RTP. So there was the set of companies that were there when I was in Seattle and in Washington. Um, you know, there's a lot of tech as well as the universities, as well as the other other folks around in here in Atlanta. We have the universities, we have the CDC. There are all of these other institutes plus tech and all of these other, not just Georgia Tech, but tech, big tech <laughs> in town as well that I think shapes how the ecosystem um, grows. But I would say the one thing that I've known or that I've witnessed between each of these ecosystems is the connectivity. Um, I think the connectivity is what makes an ecosystem grow and thrive. Um, even with, you know, us talking about if Biolocity is a front door, it's nice to know that there are other doors and we're all connected to, if I haven't connected with you, I know I can mm -hmm. call X person mm -hmm. or if, um, you know, and I, and I think the same for others um, to us. So I think having that connectivity within the, not only the universities, um, not with only in the institutes, um, but with the business community as well um, and other other resources that you know are hidden or not um, to just continue to support. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, how do, how do you stay connected to like um, understanding what innovations are are spurring up most around here, but then also like how do you stay focused on where is the industry moving and what types of innovation are, you know, you do your market research, but you also have all this input, but how do you personally like stay on top of how you want to provide resources to all these different innovations that need to kind of envision maybe an exit or some kind of like opportunity in the future? Yeah, no, great question. I think, um, because my roots are in research, you never get rid of those roots. Right. So I'm, I'm constantly, um, either you know trying to attend new seminars trying to make new connections trying to talk to different people in different industries um, to hear what they're interested in I try to just go to talks that are not related to anything I've ever done before just to spark new ideas like what oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> there's so many um, um, it's interesting I, I think um, I try to go to sometimes conferences I'm like well I don't know anything about this because my roots are in, in pharmaceuticals mm -hmm. um I'm like, oh, well, you know, maybe I'll just go to just a pure tech talk, mm -hmm. which is very different language than I'm used to. But you know what? I still, if they, if it's a really good speaker, they can break it down in a way that I understand. Yeah. And then I can think about it um, in relation to other things that I'm thinking about mm -hmm. in, in my life or in, you know, my career. Um, so I think the the opportunity to just never stop learning, never stop connecting with folks um, is how, you know, I can continue to impart new new thoughts, new wisdom into our program and, and the innovators that we work with. Well, it's yeah. interesting you bring up tech and just uh, the importance of kind of the tech community kind of rising first from an entrepreneurship pr perspective here. Not that med tech hasn't been present for <laughs> the last several decades, but if we look at kind of this next phase of uh, development, you know, tech is a key driver for attracting a lot of, you know, new talent into the ecosystem, taking advantage of talent that's being trained in the ecosystem as well. Um, but if you layer on top of that, you know, life sciences um, in, in any form, whether it's being applied to, 
the, a, a device or you know a biosensor or a therapeutic in nature. Um, I'm interested, you know, given your training kind of on uh, medicinal chemistry and <laughs> we know about things like small molecules, I, I'm interested in your perspective on where is the science going and how does tech connecting to bioscience maybe create uh, a different flavor mm -hmm. uh, for, for Atlanta as it faces the world, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, yeah, when I was a researcher a long time ago, I was just doing a lot of pipetting, and that's great. Um, but as I continue to, even being here, um, see you know what research are doing, there are a lot of folks who are pipetting, and we're still you know doing the, uh, I guess more traditional um, synthesis methods. Um, but I think because of the environment, folks are connected more with say Georgia Tech and looking at other ways to explore, like how am I gonna create this small molecule or how am I gonna predict what this is doing before I create this great library of things? Mm -hmm. um, how can I, and I won't say, um, how, do I, how do I get to, you know, maybe a lead family mm -hmm. faster? Mm -hmm. um, are there things in AI that can help me do that? So I think that there are a lot of um, opportunities in that area that I see. Mm -hmm. um, also with like, of course, there's the medical devices and more of the digital health side of things. I think um, ways to continue to get connected, especially, you know, I think the last couple of years have really shown us that, you know, if you can't be in person, how do you get connected? Yeah. And I think that there are, there's no shortage of ideas around how to incorporate that into a medical device, how to incorporate mm -hmm. that into, you know, how are we using our smart our smartphone for these right. different things? Yeah, remote um, management and yeah. yeah. Yep. I mean, it, it existed before, yeah. but I think it's ramped yeah. up oh, yeah. even more. Hospital in the home and things like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I see that continuing, like mm -hmm. how, how can we bring these things closer together? Mm-hmm. Well, um, if we kind of uh, bring it to the uh, back to the early days, I'd mm -hmm. like to kind of explore a little bit about your journey. Um, what were some of the forces that acted upon you as you decided to go down this pathway um, to pursue degrees in, in science? Um, and did that begin at a young age? Was mm -hmm. it something you kind of always knew that you'd want to be doing what you're doing today? Or did that evolve over time? And then the the so did it evolve over time? What is What was kind of the North Star to get you to where you are now? And were there any key influencers along the way? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I would say that my career path has evolved <laughs> as, mm -hmm. as I've moved along it. Um, I always knew I loved science. I was always going to be a scientist. Um, that was just what I was interested in. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, when I was a kid, it was like, oh, I know science, science is great, and science is how you get to medicine, and that's what you do with science. Um, but as I continued my path, I was like, oh, maybe science is an actual career that I can do, yeah. <laughs> um, because you get all these different ex exposures. Um, and I, I had different exposure growing up. So um, from my earliest days that I can remember, um, when I was in middle school, I actually went to a program at North Carolina State Un University um, that was focused on only science and math, and it was run by graduate students. Mm. I'm like, look at these adults, if you will, <laughs> um, who were taking the time to uh, teach us a lot of things that I, you know was pre what I was learning in yeah. in school. Um, 
And then that kind of always stuck with me. I, I actually had the opportunity to teach in that program hmm. um, when I was in college, even in grad school, because I just thought it was so, so, so world, worthwhile. Yeah. Um, but in graduate school, I, I got kind of the tech transfer bug. I had been hmm. doing my, you know, working in, in my field, um, creating medicines. And all of a sudden, folks started talking to me about patenting and all these other things that I had never thought about doing. Yeah. And I think that was the point that I was like, oh, I can work with other folks who are like myself, who are interested, who have all these cool innovations. We're kind of in our own little labs, um, but there's a path to actually getting it to market. Um, so that's, I think, where the change happened, yeah. if you will. Yeah. Um, and it was my leap of faith to get out of the lab and, and start working with other people. That's like me. scary. I mean, it's... to leave the lab and say, I'm going to go on this journey. I mean, you kind of got to go, you know, and, and just kind of um, cast yourself out there and go out on a limb and, and move down that pathway. Yeah. And it's a whole new set of skills to get out <laughs> into yeah. that world. Yeah. Um, in the back of my mind, yeah. selfishly, I was thinking, I can always pipe that. I know what I'm doing back here, <laughs> sure. but I'm going to, I'm going to take this leap of faith. Yeah. Um, and so I think, I mean, it's best leap of faith that I, I think I could have done. Yeah. Um, it's taken me in places that I didn't know I'd be exposed to. Mm. Um, so you asked, like, I never knew I would be in this position, but I, I love where I am. Mm. Um, I think the core, again, being a researcher, being an innovator is I'm like, yeah, I'm always looking for new, op like, new ways to help other yeah. folks like myself. Yeah. Um, so whether that's funding, which everyone loves, yeah. um, or creating programs or creating connections or, you know, just looking at more of the strategic way to help entrepreneurs, I think that'll guide my path. No, that's amazing. And I mean, but I, I can imagine that there were many obstacles along the way. I mean, that it's a lonely journey as an entrepreneur. Um, and so you, you chose a, you know, a, a different path kind of post uh, graduate school and kind of moving into the applied side of things beyond the research. Um, but I would imagine it was particularly challenging. I mean, being a woman, being a black woman, really moving down that pathway, it's probably even lonelier. I mean, and, and maybe from the standpoint of obstacles that, that you faced and overcome, are there uh, ways that the industry itself mm -hmm. could be a more, more welcoming environment? Because we know that for its own sustainability, it has to rely on diversity it, it, in, every, in every form, whether it's part of a, a growing organization, part of the C-suite, part of the boardroom, um, accessing new markets, going after new problems. Um, there's, there, there's so many aspects to a requirement for diversity, but there's, but there's a lot of barriers to that mm -hmm. happening. Just wondered about your perspective or thoughts around um, how you have traveled your pathway and ideas for the next generation to think about how we remove some of those barriers um, so that more uh, are welcomed into the pathway. Yeah, no, great point. I think um, it can be challenging, especially if you're kind of moving by yourself. You don't know anybody else who's doing this. You don't know if anybody else is unsure of where their career path is going, right. but you know that you want to do something different. Mm -hmm. um, I think the way that industry can help, um, and I've had this conversation many times with whether it's industry people or boards that I've sat on or um, other opportunities I've had are, um, Oftentimes people will look at me and say, oh, well, we found you. This is so great. And I'm like, well, there are a lot more people like me. <laughs> um, it's just we're not, we may not always be in the same circles. Mm -hmm. We may not always be um, in the same spaces. Mm -hmm. So it's a challenge 
that I always give folks. I'm like, you have to look outside of your group. Yeah. You have to look outside of what you think the person who contributes to your, your who you think will contribute to your organization is. Um, for example, um, if you're only looking for CEOs, you're gonna miss people. Mm-hmm. Why, why aren't you looking for that future CEO? Um, if you're only looking for folks who are at the end of their career, why are you, you're missing the people who are coming up the ranks? Yeah. So I always just I always just encourage folks to um, expand their mind, expand their horizons, expand their networks, yeah. um, and have that that outreach. Um, I think many people are doing that, and I, I applaud that, and I try to do that. Um, but I think it's it is on us to to be those open doors. Um, I think from the experience from my side um, coming up, uh, I think. I did find people who were able to, you know, kind of take me in under their wing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was still, you know, there are a lot of challenges. I'm thinking about, you know, switching, not switching careers, but pivoting careers, if you yeah. will, um, and trying to look for uh, folks who had already done that, as well as, you know, who could be a role model versus, you know, um, who's that person that's trying to hire you. It's just, right. it's, it's really difficult to navigate. So it's nice um, if the folks who are in those positions or in those organizations are also reaching back. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, uh, you know, um, very, you know, similar concepts in my own career paths and switching over. But like for those listening who I think one key that you said is like you you had people take you under their wing. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I have my own perceptions, but mm-hmm. like how much of that was you actually taking yourself outside of yourself and and actually putting yourself out there. How do you facilitate those types of relationships so that you can create, at least in your mind, Mm -hmm. your options and get exposed to different perspectives? Because I think that's a huge hurdle for a lot of us who don't see a lot Mm -hmm. of us in this Mm -hmm. industry. But like internally, like what did that look like for you? Do you? I think that at some point I had to take I had to take stock of who could be a champion versus who could be my mentor. Right, so they're not. They don't always have to be the same person, mm-hmm. um, and different people can support your career in different ways. And and it's like their capabilities to help you. Um, but like you said, I think it is putting yourself out there because you're already like, I'm going into a new space. How am I going to network with these people? Um, so there is some. There is that you know stepping yeah. outside of your comfort zone, and it doesn't have to be with people who look exactly like you because mm-hmm. they're not always around, right, right. Um, and they are often tapped a lot. Um, So it's who else is, who else is in the ecosystem um, that, you know, maybe, maybe they're not in the exact career that you want to be, but maybe they have a spark of something that you're interested in. And how do you, how do you make those connections? Um, I think sometimes, you know, not everyone is going to be that open. So you just have to keep trying. Um, And it it can be a struggle. Scary, Um, right? It can be very scary. (laughs) That's what I tell, that's what I tell people. It's like, you're jumping out of a plane, just do it. Cause Someone's yeah. gonna catch you if you do it enough yeah. times. Yeah, <laughs> you have a few bruises, but yeah. you gotta persevere. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> well, and that's a bit, and and we, as we weave that in, uh, you know, I, the question I would have um, as a corollary to that would be um, one of the things that we're watching kind of take place, kind of coming through and post COVID, mm-hmm. um, the distribution of the life sciences landscape of innovation. Um, Certainly, the hotspots of Boston and the Bay Area will continue to grow and mm-hmm. um, succeed uh, as high-functioning ecosystems for life sciences uh, companies and and all that are part of the, the ecosystem. But um, over the past decade, 
universities uh, from around the country have invested very heavily into their own innovation frameworks and architecture um, as the business model for higher education evolves and changes. Less reliance on grants, more reliance on philanthropy and uh, translation and connections to industry. Mm-hmm. And that has then brought more of a distribution of the phenotype of faculty that would otherwise be found at MIT and Stanford. There's still many there, but there's new faculty coming into the fold that want to be in a different ecosystem. And to some degree, that's diversity as well, right? I mean, if you're in the same echo chamber, then you're getting, your ideas are somehow linked and you're not really getting beyond. It's it, it's riskier, um, but it's you're more likely you're going to find outsized returns and in innovations and probably higher failure rates as you get an ecosystem that's earlier stage versus one that's more mature. Mm-hmm. Almost like a small company and a large company, the risk profiles are, are very different. Um, but coming back to Atlanta, what, do you see an opportunity for Atlanta um, as one of those emerging ecosystems to have a, a very unique position in in the the global you know arrange the the global biotech grid if you will that would capitalize on on diversity um do, do, is that a factor is that one of the one of the stories um one of the assets that could be highlighted among the many others that we've talked about as well yeah absolutely um and i love the examples that you that you gave um because i think from the faculty perspective i see you know folks who've actually last I got to hear uh, stories of several different faculty of how they got to be at either Emory or Georgia Tech um, and talking about their different journeys and their paths and like what other cities they've worked at Lynn and et cetera. Um, but I also meet a lot of faculty who maybe, you know, they did work in industry for a while, so they bring a different perspective. Um, but then there's the diversity of the city um, as a whole. So, you know, there, um, there are many institutions here. Um, there are uh, we have several HBCUs here. Um, we have all different kinds of organizations that I think contribute to um, the vibrancy that you know Atlanta has, as well as where it can continue to grow. Um, I think it's one of the most unique, <laughs> uniquely diverse cities that I've I've lived in. Um, it's part of the reason why I moved here, just because it's it's a, like I said, each ecosystem brings something a little bit different. Um, but I think it's got a it's a it's a place where um, you get ideas from all over the place. Um, and I think just the just the proximity of these different organizations um, helps actually facilitate some of those new ideas. So I can, I think uh, the diversity here, um, whether it's educational um, or um, cultural, I think mm-hmm. really helps drive this this ecosystem. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Good, uh, agreed from 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 my perspective. As well. Um, now, your husband's a scientist and innovator as well, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, are you uh, constantly kind of evaluating his uh, technology? <laughs> and, and <laughs> what's that like? Do you, do you, is that is that enjoyable, or do you find more uh, friction as it comes to the, the work discussion? Um, we always start with the discussion of, well, which hat do you want me to wear? Do you want That's white great. hat, mm-hmm. or do you want? Work hat. I like that. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. those sometimes merge and sometimes they don't. Yeah. Um, and I think um, as he's evolved with, because he's, uh, like you said, a researcher um, who's also interested in innovation and um, has a history of starting companies, um, 
you know, it's it's fun. I think it's fun to look at um, the different things that he's working on from the lens of other things that I've been involved in. And just also hearing from his lens, um, you know, what does he see and how does that inform other things that I'm, I'm looking into? So it's, yeah. it's nice. That's great. We do have work-life balance. Though. That's good. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> well, but back to balance. Uh, how, how, so that's a great perspective. Um, but just in general, it can be intense. I mean, the role that you have is multifaceted. You're wearing a lot of hats. Like you said, you're meeting people where they are, you know, not only, you know, in, ter in their own development, but even ge geographically, you're out and about a lot. Um, are there things that you are able to do on your own that uh, give you some of that, that balance? What's your perspective on being able to achieve even a balance with, um, with the focus that you have kind of on entrepreneurship and innovation? Yeah, um, I think there has to be a balance, otherwise you burn out. Mm -hmm. So, um, and balance I think comes in different ways. Um, so I'm, I think it's very rare that I'm not thinking about like research, innovation, um, the folks who are in my portfolio, yeah. um, my position, et cetera. Um, but that doesn't have to be bad, right? So I think the way that I try to balance that is, you know, every once in a while you just have to take a little break. Maybe it's, you know, going for a walk, going to a new restaurant, um, that just gives my, my mind thinking about something different yeah. for a little while. But then I think it brings me back to, um, oh, now I can look at um, my job in a, in a new perspective. Yeah. Um, but I think, and people always say this, like, do you have a job or like, is it your job or your career? I think it's because it's so ingrained in me to try to move these technologies out. It doesn't feel like a job. A it is. Yeah. It's, mm -hmm. oh, I just thought about something new. I'm going to write that down. Yeah. And so it doesn't feel like like work. But when I yeah. vacation, I vacation and I take a break. <laughs> That's great. That's good. That's good. Good, good advice. Well, I, you know, as we kind of, uh, wind down the conversation. I'm curious uh, what your perspective would be if I asked kind of advice for the next generation um, that wants to follow in your footsteps. What what off what advice could you offer to you know an individual that's either you know just going through and finishing up high school or setting their ambitions for the future and where they're going to go to college? Any any you know, words of wisdom? Yeah. I, um... I would say I think I think people should take comfort in the position they are. They don't have to have all of the answers immediately out out of the gate. Um, I, for me, that didn't work as I thought. You know, I was going to do all these other things, and now I'm in this position that um, I never dreamed I'd be in. Mm -hmm. But I love what I'm doing, yeah. and I'm glad I didn't box myself out of exploring these kinds of mm -hmm. positions because I was just so focused on what I was thinking about when I was six. Yeah. Um, so I think, um, and sometimes that works for people, but I think yeah. my um, my advice would be, you know, just be okay with being flexible, mm. be open-minded. Yeah. Um, because you can, you can always explore different paths and if they're not for you, you don't have to do them. Right. Um, but you also don't have to make all of your decisions <laughs> right when you... <laughs> right when you walk out the door. In the yeah, no, I like that. Cause I do think there's tremendous pressure just even watching my own kids go through uh, high school and college. There's that the world wants to know, what are you going to do? Mm -hmm. You know, everybody, every party you're at, mm -hmm. you know, what, what you're going to be your, ma oh, you're going to college. What's going to be your major? You know, yeah. so everybody is, the world's constantly trying to put you in a box. <laughs> and it starts at a young age, like you said, and that could be limiting too, especially if you don't have that strong psychology that you're advising here too. It's just stay flexible, stay open. Don't let the world wrestle you down. You know, at that point in time, keep open to the possibilities and, um, 
you know, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but just the, that you will find, you know, joy in that path if you if you stay open and not put too much pressure on yourself yeah. um, and, and, and be rigid in this is the way it's got to be for somebody else. Yeah, I think you have to find what you love. And there might be a lot of different ways to do what you love. Mm-hmm. You just have to be open to what those things are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Um, what do you think, if you look at the next, I don't know, five years, what do you think are the most exciting either um, technologies um, that, that you think the field kind of will be transformed by um, that, you know, are either coming out of, you know, your portfolio um, or that you're seeing kind of evolve um, just in the, in the whole um, field of science? Oh, man. Um, there's so many things I love. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, pharmaceuticals are my heart, so that's always, I always find those to yeah. be very exciting. Um, I think um, in the next five years, I'm I'm really interested to see how folks will continue to, you said, leverage technology to meet people where they are. Mm. Um, I think that there are just I think the pandemic really showed like how disconnected we are yeah. and the need to be more connected when you can't get out the door, when you can't do these things, how do yeah. you, how do you maintain those connections? Um, I think it'll be huge to see where that, where that goes. Yeah. So in a way it's almost a different form of like personalized medicine in a way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. <laughs> We've really enjoyed the conversation and we're uh, really Uh, flattered that you joined us today and can't thank you enough for the time that you spent. And uh, we look forward to continuing to collaborate with you here at Portal. Yeah, thank you for having me. (laughs) Thanks a lot, Courtney. (laughs) Thanks for joining us today. It was another great episode. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with our guest today and were inspired the way I was. Looking forward to reconvening again in two weeks. Please visit our website at labratstounicorns.com. We welcome any of your comments, feedback, ideas. If you want me to ask certain questions of guests or you have ideas of people that we should be interviewing. That is all goodbye.